0: Imagine that um, you have a baby, right? Maybe this baby is your child. Maybe it's a nephew or a niece um, or you're babysitting for someone and the baby is crying. Think about what you're going to do intuitively, right? Are you going to scream and raise your voice or are you going to speak more softly? Are you going to hum, right? That, That can be like very soothing, very calming. You're going to move the baby. You're going to hold the baby and you're going to rock the baby. So the movement is so calming, right? Um, You're going to sing very softly to the baby. You're going to hold him, right, and touch. Touch can be very soothing to the nervous system. So if we connect with these tools on a more intuitive level, we can see that most of us know what to do, but we kind of forgot because nobody talks about it. Nobody puts an emphasis on it. But I think this knowledge exists in us, right? We just have to reconnect with it. <music>
1: hey there i'm anna holtzman and this is from chronic pain to passion i'm a licensed psychotherapist and coach who helps passionate creatives like you learn how to heal from chronic pain and other symptoms so you can reclaim your energy and live the creative life of your dreams in my past life i was a disillusioned video editor working in reality tv and struggling with chronic migraine for over 10 years. But after I discovered the mind-body methods that I'll share with you on this podcast, I recovered from the chronic cycle and got back my creative spark. And I want that for you too. So let's get into it. Before we start today's episode, I want to tell you about the Chronic Pain to Passion Mentorship. This is a one-on-one coaching program where you can get my individualized support with recovery from chronic symptoms so that you can get back into your creative work or passion project. As someone who has been through it myself, I have found that creative recovery and symptom recovery actually go hand in hand, and I'd love to support you with that. To learn more, you can visit my website at Anna Holtzman. .com/mentorship And now I'm excited to share today's episode with you. I sat down to have a chat with Dr. Avi Sanders. Avi is a licensed clinical psychologist based in New York and New Jersey, but he also works virtually with clients all over the US. One of his specialties is helping clients Who struggle with anxiety. His approach is eclectic as he tries to tailor a unique treatment to meet each client's individual needs and preferences. I really appreciate Avi's warmth and down-to-earth approach, and that he shares his own struggles with anxiety as a learning tool for clients. We're all in this human experience together, after all. And as Avi says, if you're alive, you're going to experience anxiety at some point. So I think it's safe to say that there is something for everyone in this conversation. Welcome, Avi. I'm so glad to be speaking with you. We have been following each other on Instagram. This is the first time we're speaking. It's lovely to see your face and chat with you. Would you like to introduce yourself, share what you do, who you help?
0: Yeah. So um, my name is Avi Sanders. I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, I'm based in uh, New Jersey and New York. Um, But right now I actually see clients in 31 states. Wow. Yeah. Um, So I have a a broad range of interests as a clinician. Um, I work with children, with adults, with individuals, with couples, with families. Um, A big part of my work is helping people with anxiety. Um, I think it it became really clear during the pandemic, Um, how many people are struggling with anxiety, so it's a major focus of my work, Um, but I have other interests. I really like working with couples. I do a lot of parenting coaching, Um, and I just love what I do, so it will be really nice to talk to you about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm really glad to be talking about this with you, anxiety, you know. I obviously work with chronic pain and other chronic syndromes, but really one of those syndromes, if we want to call it that, is anxiety, and anxiety is an ingredient to all of these chronic symptoms. I'm really interested to know what led you to doing this work that you do.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you mean just to be a psychologist in general or specifically around anxiety?
1: Specifically around anxiety, Yeah.
0: yeah. So I was a very anxious kid. Um, I think I struggled um, a lot with social anxiety, Um, but I I had a lot of anxiety around health, around safety. Um, And I had my own journey of trying different things um, to learn to cope with anxiety, to make sure that anxiety doesn't paralyze me. Um, So it took me quite a while to figure it out. Um, When I came to psychology, Um, I kind of thought that I um, overcame anxiety or understood anxiety. But as I was going through the process of um, learning and working with clients, my understanding and the way that I work with anxiety really evolved. Um, And I think one reason that I gravitate toward your content is that um, much later in my training or in my work as a psychologist, I came to understand more the importance of mind-body. Yeah, uh, because I think this connection was quite neglected in my training. I was in school for five years, and I think nobody talked to me about understanding feelings, um, understanding how the body reacts to stress or to anxiety. Uh, yeah. And so, to me, this is almost a new revelation in the last two or three years. Um, and it was kind of um eye opening and really really exciting new possibilities. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, I just want to say that I know, and I'm sure you know too, that you're not alone with that, that all all of us practitioners, whether we are therapists or psychologists, psychiatrists, medical doctors, our education has been so siloed for many, many years the body has been treated as an isolated entity the mind as an isolated entity right. um and there's been a lot of kind of the pendulum swinging one way and then the other like oh you know it's it's not just in the mind so now let's focus only on the body or vice versa right. so you and i are are just two mm-hmm. moving parts in this kind of broader right cultural movement that's shifting
0: i like the word movement it's definitely a movement i see so much more content around it yeah uh, which is great i I, if it's okay i want to tell you a story um i'd love it my first graduate school class was an intake class so an intake is basically the first interview that you do with a client um so i was very excited we did it in pairs i was paired with another student and we interviewed or basically i sat with my first client ever i was very nervous And this client struggled with panic attacks. And when he just described the experience of um, a panic attack, it sounded um, so painful and so overwhelming. Um, And I remember that we had to present the case um, in the intake class. And um, when I presented the case, I told my professor, I thought that I wanted to give something to this client until we assign him a therapist, because it sounded so scary, so overwhelming, so painful. And my professor told me, "You should have given him some breathing exercise." Yeah. So I said, "What breathing exercise I, I genuinely I, I was curious like what you because I didn't know i wasn't I wasn't a therapist before
1: yeah
0: and and my professor was stunned because he didn't have any breathing exercise to offer me, which made me realize that it's nothing that is something that he has never done for his clients because he was working from a very very cognitive perspective,
1: yeah.
0: So I think that over the years, like one thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to be able to offer concrete tools to people who struggle with anxiety. And I think just working with the thoughts or with the cognitive component of anxiety alone um, is not sufficient. I don't think that 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 is meeting the clients where they are and giving them what they really need because anxiety, it feels overwhelming in the body. Yes. So we definitely need tools to help regulate the experience in the body.
1: Speaking of anxiety being experienced in the body, I'm curious how anxiety manifests in the body for you specifically. You know, we each have our experiences of that and we might not all be aware of that at the beginning.
0: Yeah. I always um I always tell my clients, let's focus first on the immediate suspects, right? So usually when we do a body scan, I ask my clients to reflect on a moment where they felt intense anxiety and to try and re-experience the moment to the best of their ability. And then I ask them to really focus on certain areas. So I said, let's focus on what's going on in your jaw, in your neck, in your throat, in your shoulders, upper back, chest stomach right um what's going on with your breathing is your breathing pattern is shifting right is it fast is it slow is it deep is it shallow right what's going on with your heart rate Um, what's going on with the pace that your heart is beating is it shifting is it faster are you um sweating are you shaking right um are you hot are you cold so i'm helping them through um different prompts to start focusing on areas where most of us will feel, feel the anxiety. And usually these areas are the areas where we're loaded with nerves, right? Part of the nervous system that gets activated when we feel anxious.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just noticing as you're speaking and describing those things, asking those questions, I'm very aware of the tone of your voice, the quality of your voice, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just listening, kind of putting myself in the seat of a client Mm. and feeling my own, you know, nerve endings, feeling (laughs) just a little bit soothed by the tone of your voice, which is also something that, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know about your training, but in my training, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing wasn't really talked about, not explicitly anyway.
0: No. And now that I'm more of the nervous system, right, one way that we can suit the nervous system is through the voice, right? Um, I always like to um, remind people or to connect with it uh, on a more intuitive level. And Mm -hmm. I say, um, imagine that um, you have a baby, right? Maybe this baby is your child, maybe it's a nephew or a niece, um, or you're babysitting for someone, and the baby is crying, think about what you're going to do intuitively, right? Are you going to scream and raise your voice or are you going to speak more softly? Are you going to hum, right? That that can be like very soothing, very calming. You're going to move the baby. You're going to hold the baby and you're going to rock the baby. So the movement is so calming, right? Um, You're going to sing very softly to the baby. You're going to hold him, right? And touch, touch can be very soothing, to the nervous system. So if we connect with these tools on a more intuitive level, we can see that most of us know what to do, but we kind of forgot because nobody talks about it. Nobody puts an emphasis on it. But I think this knowledge exists in us, right? We just have to reconnect with it.
1: Yeah, I really love that. I also use the metaphor of the baby a lot in my work with clients and I also think that tapping into our intuitive knowledge is a big part of taking down the fear. I think part of what goes on with symptoms like anxiety and anxiety-fueled pain symptoms is that we feel confused and fearful because we don't know what's going on. And so pulling that awareness back into actually you know, you do know a lot about what to do. Also, part of where I usually start out with clients if they haven't had an introduction to, you know, the mind body approach to chronic pain is I'll start off with describing what pain is in through the lens of mind body. And I'll say something like, pain is a danger signal that the nervous system fires off when it senses that things around you are not safe or things inside of you are not safe. And I'm curious how, what language you use to describe to clients, what is anxiety? How do you conceptualize anxiety?
0: That's a great question. Um, I like the metaphor of an alarm system, right? Um, So we have an alarm system that is there, very similar to what you said, right? That is there to signal about um, danger or possible danger. Um, But I like to think about it as an alarm um, system that sometimes can send false positives, right? Um, Sometimes we feel anxious. uh, And when when we calm the body and we think about the event again, we're saying, I don't think that there was like any threat to to my life. I couldn't get... um, really hurt in the situation, yet in the body, it feels very real, right? And then it's a a question of to start exploring, like, what's causing anxiety. Um, And I think this is a very important question, because it's not one source, right? This is why I I don't like therapy that's saying, oh, there's one solution for anxiety. Um, And I think that's the case, because um, there can be many sources to why we feel anxious, and we're not fixing a feeling. What we do, we work on the sources of the feeling. So so different people that walk through, through the door for a consultation might say that they struggle with anxiety and it sounds the same or it feels the same. But the sources might be very different and then the work is very different. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Could you give some examples of that? Like, What might be some common or particular examples of what a source of anxiety might be?
0: Sure. So um, for some people, it can be trauma, right? Um, yeah. So I, I wouldn't say many of us, but many people um, suffer through some, some type of interpersonal trauma, right? So let's take, for example, a client who grew up with a dad who was very angry and explosive and unpredictable, right? So now this um, this person is um, a highly functioning adult, is going into the workforce, for, maybe it's in a relationship, And maybe his partner or his boss or his colleague get agitated and suddenly is re-experiencing what it felt like to be with his dad, but it doesn't make the connection. So it's going to manifest as anxiety because being a child with a very angry dad can register in the nervous system as something very, very dangerous and highly stressful, right? So it will come up in the body again, like this person is a child, which is that 20 or 30 or 40 years ago and then he feels immense anxiety but he does he doesn't make the connection or she doesn't make the connection um or they don't make the connection and that can be a source of anxiety right so the work on this source of of anxiety is to work with trauma and the way that you work with trauma right so that can be one source right i have I have another category of clients. Somebody's calling me for a consultation and says, um, I work on Wall Street and experience a lot of anxiety. So I say, "I say, tell me about your life a little bit. So he says, I work 80 hours a week. I drink a lot of alcohol because we go out to a bar every, every night after work. Um, I smoke. Um, I eat whatever I can put my hands on. I barely expose myself to light. I get four or five hours of sleep. But I love my life. I don't want to change them. I just want to get rid of the anxiety.
1: Yeah.
0: So so this is this is a question of, again, mind-body connection, a lifestyle connection, and what does it do to your body, to your nervous system, to your emotional system? So that can be another a very different type of work, right? Um, you, need, you need to address some lifestyle um, factors if you want to see a change in the anxiety. The, the way that I like to think about anxiety, I say, this is your friend. And it's Mm -hmm. a friend that's trying to tell you something. And the question is, are you willing to listen? And if you really listen to the friend, he he or she might give you different messages, right? About what's going on. Why does it feel so tense and so scary and so uncomfortable? And based on what we're hearing, we might intervene in different ways. I I don't know if I answered your question, but...
1: I, I love that answer. Absolutely. And, you know, I really like that question of... You were saying the anxiety is your friend, and the question is, are you willing to listen to it? Mm-hmm. Clearly, there are lots of reasons why we might not want to listen to it. Otherwise, we, you know, you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And I'm curious, what are some of those um, common barriers that come up to listening?
0: Yeah. A- again, this is a great question, um, and I can think about many answers. I want to talk maybe about one. Yeah. Um, one idea that I have, and you'll take it um, wherever you want to. Um, I, I like to explore with my clients um, their belief system around anxiety and feelings in general, right? And let's think about what messages do we receive about emotions. Um, so I, I can talk about, um, as a man, I heard a lot the message of boys don't cry, right? Um, yeah. So we do cry <laughs> and we do get sad. Um, But we hear a message that there's something weak about it, right? Also, anxiety is a bad rep specifically for for men, right? So many men that I see um, struggle with owning um, or feeling comfortable with their anxiety. Um, One feeling that is being normalized for men is anger. Right. I think if I'm, I'm generalizing, for women, it's the opposite. For women, it's slightly more acceptable to be anxious um, but it's frowned upon if a woman is angry, even though anger is a normal feeling. So I think one one way to start exploring why it's hard for us to feel more comfortable with anxiety or feelings in general is what did we, what did we hear, or what messages did we receive or absorbed around feelings? Um, and I don't think that feelings were normalized. Um, I have a theory. I've never checked it, and I'm curious to hear what you think. Um, is that the the generation of parents that raised us was a generation that was more busy with survival. So I think my parents and parents around them, if they gave us um, good education, they gave us food, um, we had a place to live, they did their job as parents. Um, And again, uh, my family is a family of people who came from World War II, Holocaust survivor, um so so survival and basic needs was really really the emphasis around parenting nobody talked to me about emotions and i see it a lot with my clients i don't know what's your experience right so almost like emotions is like a foreign language it's like you'll start talking to me in mandarin right now and i don't speak mandarin and i'll be like what is she saying um for many of my clients and and myself included Emotions were not part of the vocabulary. Um, so I think it's almost like learning a new language and it takes some time and patience and curiosity to start speaking the language of emotions. Yeah,
1: yeah so I absolutely agree that there's a this generational thing that you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. Um, all of my clients have not grown up with um, emotional education. And that's a generational thing because now today w- there's a lot more talk about emotions. I mean, it's still in its infancy, I think, but it's definitely growing. I mean, you and I are talking about it and we're only two people of many, many, many practitioners out there who are talking about it. You're seeing it pop up in um conversations on social media a lot much more now and there's a lot of talk a lot more talk now about how to educate kids about emotions so certainly the generational thing personally I also relate to what you described in your family about the survival my grandparents were also holocaust survivors as it happens and so absolutely um you know i talk to clients about how when when you personally experience something traumatic like let's take the pandemic for example because that's a trauma we've all been experiencing together in the immediate aftermath or it while it's happening we insulate ourselves from our feelings as a survival mechanism and we might not be processing them till a, a year later years later and sometimes human beings go through trauma that is so of such a high magnitude that it's not processed until generations later and i think that's certainly the case with things yeah. like war and genocide yeah i also have an additional theory about um what I describe as an emotion negative culture where Mm -hmm. emotions are discouraged and shamed and um, looked on negatively. I also think this is a very useful device for systems of hierarchy, like capitalism, racism, patriarchy, all of these hierarchy systems. I think discourage emotion because when we feel our own emotions we know that we don't like what's happening to us and we want to say no and stand up for ourselves mm-hmm. i don't know what you think about that
0: oh, i i love i love everything that you say but i really relate to the last part that um it, it's funny you talked about racism I'm gonna talk um, more in a on a micro level right like I have yeah. a client that is she's in a, an abusive relationship um and she gets messages from her husband from her husband's family um that um, she's overreacting that she's triggering his anger. I said you know what um and, and she wants me to tell her if she's in an abusive relationship or not i said you don't need me for that she said what do you mean i said you have your emotions to let you know so tell me what you feel in this relationship right um i feel angry i feel sad i feel scared right um i feel bad about myself um i said so what do you think your emotions are telling you she said, like, yeah, it's it's not a good relationship, it's abusive, right? I said, what do you think you'll feel in a healthy relationship? Said I would feel connected, I will feel cared for, I would feel love, yeah, I would feel safe. I said, but it sounds like these um emotions are really fleeing for you. Um, you don't feel them a lot, right? So I, I love what you said, right? Um if somebody tells you just just get over yourself or it's not a big deal, or you're exaggerating in your reaction. Your emotions will probably tell you a very clear story of a relationship. Whether if you talk about race, racism, it's on, on a macro level, right? But it can be also on a micro level. So I really connect with that, And that's a big part of my work, but more on a more individual level, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a useful story. I think folks can really connect to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so nice to be having this conversation together. I'm curious to know in your own particular journey with anxiety, what was your first experience of a perspective, a tool, a method that you found to be actually
0: helpful? Yeah. Yeah. um, I think something I I will talk about. I used to be a lawyer many years ago uh, and I I mentioned that I would Social anxiety and public um, public speaking anxiety was quite profound for me. And I remember when I was a very young lawyer, I worked for the district attorney office, um, and I had to go to court for, I would say, five minutes. Nothing too complex, just to, let's say, set dates for a trial for a more senior lawyer. I have to tell you, Anna, I would lose sleep for probably four or five weeks prior to this, like, five minutes in court, um, and while I was in court, like my body was really activated, right? Now I will, I will say my nervous system was in a fight or flight state. I was shaking, I was blushing, my heart was racing. Like um, I felt tension all over my body, my voice was shaking. And what I, I did um, instinctively was actually, I discovered later, was the worst thing to do. I tried to control the symptoms. Yeah. But, yes. Oh, my God, like everybody can see that I'm red and like everybody is noticing that my voice is shaking and I have to stabilize my hands and I have to stabilize my legs. And what happened? Like I got into a power control with my anxiety and it just got worse. Right. Um, for some reason, like my mom gave me an advice back then um, that later on I I, I realized is um kind of asking me to practice mindfulness. Nobody spoke about mindfulness back then. Um, And she actually told me to do the opposite. She said, don't try to control the symptom. Just keep focusing on what you need to say. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if your voice is shaking. It's okay if your hands are shaking. It's okay if your legs are shaking, as long as you're saying what you need to say. So always come back to what you need to say. And that was like the first lesson that I had that actually when we get into a power struggle with our, with our anxiety, with our emotions, it just makes them more intense and more frequent. And it yeah. takes more time to subside. So today I would call that mindfulness, but also the concept of not um, entering a power struggle with our emotions, I think is key to my work today. I really teach myself and my clients how to let their our emotions to run their course without getting in the way and offering support to our body because it can become overwhelming but learning how to offer the resources or the tools that support the body as we experience the anxiety rather than trying to make it go away. So I'm going to pause here because that was it. A-
1: <laughs> that was really great and I you know the approach that I use and many of my colleagues use with chronic pain symptoms Is very, very similar. You know, a lot of my colleagues say what we resist persists. And so, for example, with uh, a migraine attack, if we are trying to resist and resist and, you know, actively trying to stop the pain, it's actually going to dig in its heels and ramp up even more. And something that um, clients that I work with often struggle with is. How do I accept or allow this thing that I don't like and I don't want? I wonder if that's something that comes up with your clients as well.
0: Uh, yeah. Um, again, I, I like metaphors. I don't know. Really, metaphors help me to understand something and to communicate something. So I, I always ask my clients, um, sometimes it's it's easier for us to think about something or someone outside of ourselves. To yeah. see something more clearly. So I said, imagine that like you're walking on the street and you see this like very sweet, like young kid, like running and tripping and falling and starts crying, right? So here are two responses that I'm offering you and tell me which response makes more sense to you. Um, you're going to the kid, you're saying, I'm sorry, that was really scary. Um, you didn't see it coming. Let me help you to get up. Let me help you to brush off your the mat from your your pants. Uh, Maybe you're going to give them a hug and say, are you feeling better right now? Response number one. And then I say, another response can be, what is wrong with you? Didn't you see that there's a pavement here? And if you would have just paid attention, you wouldn't trip and you wouldn't be crying and just stop it and like stop with this drama, right? And everybody say, of course, it all generates response number one. And then I say, how do you speak to your emotions, right? And many of us recognize that we actually generate response number two. We yeah. don't like the anxiety, we don't like the pain, we want to get rid of it. Go away. Why are you crying? Why are you raising your voice? I don't want to hear from you. And and this this kid starts crying even more, right? Um so many times like one of the most basic interventions that I really like is just to locate where you feel the anxiety in your body. Yeah. And um when you locate where you feel it in your chest, for example, just put a hand there, right? And just see if you notice like the comfort. And um get get in touch with your body and see, do you want more comfort? So maybe like press a little bit more deeply or maybe this part in you that is anxious right now wants more light comfort. So keep it more light and flattering, right? And see if you can notice the support that you offer this part. See if you notice the warmth of your hand on this part and really remember that the intention is to comfort and not to get rid of. The intention is really important. I'm not trying to get rid of you. I'm trying to comfort you. And then I ask my patients to try, or my clients, to try different... um, I don't like the word patient, so I prefer client. Um, And I say, let's try different statements and see that um, which statement sits better with this anxious part, right? It's okay to feel this way. I'm here with you, right? You're not alone. (laughs) We'll figure it out together. I know that it's not easy. <laughs> and, and I think if we, if we start playing with these statements and we pay attention to what's going on in our body, we can we can slowly find this like intuitive internal voice that is more comforting. Because I think with, with the right voice, with the right statements, there will be some softening there, right? With st- statements that are more harsh, it's going to tense up. But,
1: yeah. Again, I, you know, I, if someone is listening and they're not seeing the video of us, I was following along with you. I put my hand on my chest and I was really feeling the effect of that. And something that I find really interesting in with myself and with clients is that a lot of times there can be resistance to doing a practice like the one that you just described, you know, I even experience it with myself. If I'm in a state where I'm feeling very anxious, I might think, well, how could I possibly offer myself any soothing or calming Mm -hmm. if I'm feeling so worked up right now? And and when I was following along with you, I was thinking, you know, I don't know if I'll feel anything, but I'm just going to follow along because why not? And I immediately felt the warmth of my hand on my chest. It's kind of like a, you can fake it till you make it. You can say the things to yourself, even if you're not feeling calm while you're saying them. And they start to have an effect. I don't yeah. know if that's your experience too.
0: Yes, but also just if somebody is trying it as they listen and it doesn't work, we need to honor that because there are so many resources. And I always start by saying, we're going to try different resources. We're individuals. So what works for me might not work for you and vice versa, and that's okay. The, the goal is just to be curious about what works best for you. So we really want to honor what's going on in the body. For example, many breathing exercises don't work for many people. Yeah. When in the midst of a panic attack, sometimes tr- trying to regulate your breathing might be too much, right? Because it's already very constricted and that's okay. So maybe a, a breathing exercise doesn't work for you, but maybe grounding might work or orientation might work or using your voice might work, right? Um, or using movement might work. There, There is no right um, tool across, um, across the board that works for everyone. Because again, we really want to honor who we are as individuals and what works for one doesn't work for other and that's okay it's just the 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 goal is to be curious about what works for me um, and
1: what i'm getting from that too is that you are supporting your clients to learn to trust themselves to learn to view themselves as right. the the parental guiding authority rather than to feel as though they are dependent on on you for example to figure things
0: out. Yeah. And and I also say you know yourself better than I know you, right? If I see a client who is 30 years old, I say you have 30 years of experience with yourself. Who am I to dictate to you what works for you and what doesn't? I need your input and we'll figure it out together, right? Sometimes clients say, I don't have I don't know where to start or what to talk about. I say this is not Broadway and this is not an audition. This is a dialogue, not a monologue. So you're not supposed to give me a monologue and figure it out on your own. Just give me a start and we'll work together and also i want this ongoing feedback this works for me this doesn't work for me this feels good that doesn't feel good and i say let's figure it out together let's let's just have an open dialogue around what's going on and what works and what doesn't yeah <laughs>
1: are there any other other tools that um i don't know that are central to the way that you work with clients or that you commonly offer to clients
0: yeah um I like to just like think about um, when, if we talk about anxiety specifically, um, about um, all the components of anxiety and how we can intervene. Um, so I think um there's, we talked about the physical sensations of anxiety, right? Mm. Um, so that's one thing that is going on when we feel anxious. Then there's the emotion, I feel anxious, I feel nervous, I feel overwhelmed, depends on the situation. There are the thoughts underneath Um, the feeling that are driving and fueling the anxiety. Um, And there's also what we do when we feel anxious. Mm -hmm. So I like um, clients to start thinking about these four components. And I want us to get to a point where we, we know what to do with each component. So what can I do with the physical sensations? What can I do with the emotion, right? I'm feeling anxious. What can I do that can support me with the emotion? What can I do with the thoughts that fuel the anxiety? And when it comes to action, we want to get to a point where um, clients can take action that helps them to build a meaningful life, right? So I always clarify for clients that the work is not about getting rid of anxiety because that's that's not um, something that we can do. Because if somebody will, will walk through the door and say, um, um, I asked them, what do you want to work on? They say, I want to get rid of my anxiety. I said, I don't work with dead people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's
0: They're good. People alive. And, and they say, what do you mean? I say... Because only that people don't feel anxiety, right? But they don't feel anger. They don't feel proud. They don't feel engaged. They don't feel excited. They don't feel happy. They feel nothing, right? So if you're alive, you're going to um, feel a range of feelings and anxiety is one of them. So that's pretty normal. So what we want to do is just to make sure that anxiety doesn't prevent you from building the life that you want. So I'm more interested in where anxiety gets in the way. Oh, I can go on a date because I get so anxious or I can't get the job that I want because I get so paralyzed on interviews, um, right? Um, So so let's work on helping you with anxiety in this situation so you can go on a date, so you can get um, an interview and get the job that you want. So the work is really about building a meaningful life and learning to work with my anxiety and all of my emotions in a way that they don't prevent me from creating the life that I want for myself. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, it's so beautiful to hear that description mm-hmm. more often than not, when clients first come to me, very understandably, they are monofocused on their symptoms. And that's exactly where I was at when I started in my journey with recovery from chronic migraine. So I completely understand that. Um, and where the work winds up, going is that the focus gradually, gradually shifts from what it is that I don't want, that I don't like, that I'm wanting to get rid of, and the focus shifts onto what is it that I do want? What do I actually like? What kind of life do I want to be living? And I'm curious if you might want to talk a little bit about what your personal experience with that has been as you began and continued to shift your the way that you relate to your own experience of anxiety what other shifts have opened up in your life with that
0: yeah um let's start from the present moment right to be here required me to learn to sit with my anxiety because i was anxious um i i I know you from instagram but we've never met and like, is it going to work? Are we going to have a good good conversation? Would I be able to communicate effectively? Um, So my anxiety kicked in, right? Um, And I didn't try to get rid of it. And I didn't avoid coming here. Um, But as we were talking, I was like in the beginning, suiting myself more, right? I I noticed my feet connected with the ground. Um, I noticed the chair supporting me. And as we dived into the conversation and I focused on what I want to say and listening to you, the, the focus shifted from my anxiety to the conversation, right? So for me, that's meaningful, right? I'm talking about something that I'm very passionate about and I'm learning from you. Um, but I had to be able to sit comfortably with my anxiety to be able to do so. So I think my ability to sit with my anxiety, to tolerate it, allows me probably almost every day to do things that otherwise would be very uncomfortable for me to do. Um, yeah.
1: and And are there... I mean, this is a leading question, but are there benefits to that to be able to do things that might feel uncomfortable?
0: Yeah, Um, I I think if I would start listing the benefits, like it will take like probably a few hours, right? Because again, like everything that I struggled with and my clients struggle with requires to sit with uncomfortable feelings. So something is basic. Many clients tell me, I can't say no. It's so hard for me to say no, right? I have another client who wanted to come out of the closet to, to his parents. Right. So for example, with this client, he had this idea that one day he will feel comfortable telling his parents. I said, I can assure you I'm, I'm gay myself. I'm a gay man. Right. I can assure you that we can talk for the next 10 years and there will never be a, a day that you will be anxiety free about having this conversation with your parents. Right. So He had to sit more comfortably with his anxiety. Again, we offered resources to support the body through this process. Within a few weeks, he told his parents, and it was fine. They were happy to hear about it. They have a great relationship. He feels more authentic in his relationship with them. Lots of benefits, but they're required to be able to have a conversation that brings up uncomfortable feelings, including anxiety. So I think almost everything that we want to do that is meaningful for us probably requires us on some level to sit with uncomfortable feelings um, rather than try to get rid of them. So we want to embrace them and to learn how to sit with them rather than trying to eject them outside of our system.
1: And I think it's so, so useful for anyone to hear that you don't have to quote unquote, get rid of the anxiety before you step into the uncomfortable thing. This is something that I talk about in terms of chronic pain, that you don't have to quote unquote, you know, eliminate all of your symptoms before you can step into life again. In fact, stepping into life is a very important part of the symptom recovery process. And in the spirit of just normalizing that we can move through life, even with discomfort, I also experience anxiety when I'm coming into doing an interview like this, I can even feel it in my body right now. And at the same time, I'm so glad to be here having this conversation, I wouldn't want to miss out on it, simply because um, my face goes into a reflexive smile, you know, that's part of my anxiety, how my anxiety shows up, or because my shoulders tighten up a bit.
0: And I, li- I like that we can, um, you know, almost you incorporated it, meaning like you are saying, I can have a good conversation, yet I find myself feeling anxious from time to time. So it doesn't have to be either or, it can be both. Yeah. And also I can be anxious and excited, and they're not mutually exclusive, right? So when, when we find like these different statements and way to acknowledge it, anxiety can be there, and yet we can still have a rich, meaningful experience, Like with anxiety or with pain, right? Become more manageable. Yeah.
1: If there's someone who is listening to this conversation we're having right now and they are finding it interesting, they identify that anxiety is something that they struggle with. um, They're hearing a whole bunch of tools and ideas and all this stuff. Um, but maybe they're feeling a bit overwhelmed, like, w- where do I even start? Mm. What might your words of encouragement or guidance be to that person?
0: Uh, um, I think so much is available these days online, right? Um, so let's just start by educating myself. Um, there are so many content on Instagram um, on anxiety follow some great accounts there so they can um, follow along Um, and also again remember to be attuned to yourself meaning um, if you listen to someone and it doesn't resonate with you and you're saying their ideas or the way that they suggest to go about it don't don't sit well with me they don't feel good for me it doesn't mean that the problem is with you or with them it just means that it's not a good fit for you and there are so many approaches to work with anxiety today I'm sure that anybody can find something that works for them if they stay attuned to their experience and trust it. Um, So, and and I would say like there are so many approaches, right? There's um, somatic um, um, psychology and there's dialectical behavioral therapy and there's cognitive behavioral therapy and there's acceptance and commitment therapy. There are so many options there. Um, Just read about um, different approaches and discover the one that, sits well with you, speaks to you, supports you, comforts you. And probably that's the right approach for you. So we know we just have to be open and curious to our own experience. I would say like buy a book on Amazon, do an online course. If you're not ready to go to therapy, um, follow follow people that you like on Instagram and slowly learn what works for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that you're mentioning that therapy can be very, very helpful and it's not the only option. It's not an option that is right for each person. It's also not an option that's available to each person. And so there's so many different ways to explore this. Of course. A question that I like to ask on this podcast is, what is your soapbox message or like a message that you are very passionate about about spreading through the work that you do.
0: Yeah. Well, that's um maybe I should have thought about this question before. Or um, or a message it doesn't have to be deep. Yeah. Um, I I think that one thing that um really helps me when I need to get unstuck and I find um really helps my clients is how can you slowly move from being self-critical to be curious about yourself. Because I think that's what I find to be the key to change. Um, because I think we all can become very, very self-critical and not to sit comfortably with certain parts of our personality, with certain feelings, with certain reactions, with certain choices. If we can just slowly move away from being critical to being curious, I think a new world will open up. So anything that your clients or um the listeners, or my clients, or me, and I wish that for you as well, can do to become more curious about ourselves. I think this is the, the biggest gift that we can give ourselves. So may- maybe that's one message.
1: <laughs> From critical to curious is a beautiful message. And I think that applies equally well for chronic pain recovery. I mean, these are very, very interconnected work. The, the areas that we work in. Yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you'd like to include? Uh,
0: I think you ask me one question that um I had to think about um and I'm not sure that I have the right answer, but I was wondering you asked me how do you th- how do I think that anxiety and pain might be connected? Um,
1: yeah.
0: So I do think about it and and one thought that I had I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Um if we think about the origin of anxiety, anxiety is um for ancestors, it's something that was meant to last maybe 15 seconds or 30 seconds, right? So if you think about our ancestors, like let's say roaming the jungles and maybe they run into a bear or like a tiger or a lion, you have to deal with that for 15, 30, 60 seconds, and the danger is removed, and you can go back to feeling safe. But I think in um in the in the in this era, um, the stressors that we deal with are chronic, right? So think mm-hmm. about an abusive relationship, dealing with a very um, difficult boss, um, um, dealing with financial stressors. We're in this constant st- state of stress all the time. And I don't think that our bodies were meant or created to sustain this amount for stress for prolonged periods of time. And I think this is probably, and again, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but when you asked me this question, I was thinking, maybe this is one reason why so many people struggle with chronic pain, that they're dealing with chronic stress and our bodies were not meant to tolerate chronic stress for too long. Um, so I think maybe that's one way that anxiety and pain might be related, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I I think my thoughts are are along very similar lines. So um, something that I have heard certain trauma specialists talk about is that um, on the whole, humans exhibit um, chronic pain and anxiety in ways that animals who live, you know, quote, unquote, in the wild. Um, I say quote because it's like we're we're all in the wild in some way. But it, animals that don't live with humans tend not to exhibit those chronic symptoms quite as much. I don't know if that's a hard and fast rule. But animals who live with humans, animals who are domesticated, do exhibit those symptoms of chronic anxiety and chronic pain and things like that. Um, I tend to think of these symptoms as very related to being domesticated, living within a social structure where we have to obey someone else. You know, we're all in a hierarchy and we have, um, social reasons to suppress our anger instead of letting it out and, you know, fighting the tiger and moving on from that we are chronically suppressing our anger for one thing. Um, And then the way that I conceptualize the connection between pain and anxiety, this is a little bit going into maybe another tangent, but I think of it as like uh, there are different levels in a, like a totem pole of alarm signals. So starting with the first signal is feeling a need. Like if we feel the need of um, hunger is a need, a need for for nourishment. Mm. But if for some reason we feel that we need to or should ignore that need, Mm. then there's going to be a a louder signal higher up on the chain. So that might be an emotion. We might feel like a, a distressed emotion that's trying to get our attention toward this need. And then if we feel that we have to ignore that, the next level up is going to be anxiety, which I often think of as a fear of emotion, or it's what happens when we suppress the emotion. But if we're even ignoring the anxiety and suppressing that, our body will pull the emergency alarm, which Mm -hmm. might be pain. So that's
0: kind of how I think about it. I don't know if that makes sense for you. Yeah. No, I, I think our it's my experience that our system escalates the message if if it doesn't get a response, right? Um,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so it makes sense to me. Um, because I see it also, for example, with um, other feelings, right? If I, I, we suppress um, sadness, right? Then that can turn into anxiety, which can turn into anger, um, so the alarm like is becoming louder and louder to get our to get our attention. And maybe pain is somewhere at the top of this hierarchy.
1: Just like the, the crying baby that yep. you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Avi, thank you so much for having this conversation together. I really appreciate the way that you talk about things. I love the messages that you share on your Instagram so generously. Um, Any final note before we go into our closing? No, um,
0: I I just, it was so lovely to connect with you, to finally meet you and to exchange (laughs) ideas with you. It was really lovely.
1: Likewise. And so where can people find you? And also what can they reach out to you for? What kind of support do you offer?
0: Yeah. So, um, on Instagram, um, which is where we found one another, um, um Dr. Avi Anxiety Recovery with dots between dr.avi.anxiety.recovery. Um, my website is website is dravysanders.com. Um on my website, I have um, an online course for anxiety for people who don't want to jump into therapy so they can get a lot of the concepts. Um that we cover today, but also offered in a very organized manner with exercises, so they can start working on their anxiety on their own. Um, and I also offer therapy, as I said, um, family therapy, couples therapy, individual therapy for anxiety and other conditions. Um, so this is where I can be found.
1: <laughs> Great, and we'll put I'll put all of your information in the show notes so that folks can get in touch with you easily.
0: Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure.
1: Such a pleasure, and I hope to speak again soon.
0: Let's connect soon. Okay, take care.
1: Take care. Bye. Hey, friends, it's Anna. Let me ask you something. If you're struggling with chronic symptoms, have you ever felt like pulling your hair out and screaming, Why the bleep am I still in pain? That's definitely what I was asking earlier on in my recovery. So, I can totally empathize, and I would love to help you get some clarity. So I've created a quiz just for you that's called, Why the Bleep Am I Still in Pain? And yes, you can take this quiz even if your symptoms are not pain specifically. Just head to my website, AnnaHoltzman.com, and you'll see a big old button there that says, Take the Quiz. So why don't you head there right now before you forget? And if you found this episode helpful, please go rate and review the podcast. That helps other people who are struggling with chronic symptoms too, to find the podcast, and I would appreciate it enormously. Thank you for listening, and until next time, take good care.